Hi there, I'm Jazzy Cook and I'm here with SciDance, a podcast to open and explore the world of dance science. On this episode of SciDance, I feel very lucky to have had the chance to speak to Sana Norden Bates on her research into perfectionism. Sana studied at the University of Birmingham, including her PhD, and then went on to do two postdoc periods, the most recent at Trinity Laban in London. At this time, she was also working in applied dance psychology consulting at the English National Ballet and Royal Ballet Upper School. In 2011, Sana moved to Stockholm, lecturing in sports psychology, and she currently also teaches at the Swedish Royal Ballet School. Alongside ongoing studies into early specialisation, her research interests include motivation, disordered eating and creativity, all related to perfectionism. Whether you're a dancer, dance teacher, dance scientist or dance enthusiast, there is a takeaway in this episode for everyone, and I'm so excited to be speaking to Sana about such a prevalent topic. Hi Sana, welcome. If we could just start sort of with a little overview of how you got to here in your career, sort of where your interest in perfectionism stems from and why it's like really important to you. Yes. Sure. So uh, I do focus mostly on perfectionism now, although in relation to lots of other topics. And I, I do focus mostly on dance, although I do do some research with uh, especially aesthetic sports as well. Um, I did my education at the University of Birmingham, where I did my PhD with Jennifer Cummings. So also focused on dance, but at that time on imagery. Actually, no, why I got interested in perfectionism, I think it's just exciting and intriguing. And even though this decision to focus on it more sort of uh, squarely is a somewhat recent thing since I moved to Sweden, I guess it's kind of been running alongside it. Sure. So before we go any further, could you just tell our listeners what perfectionism like is, the positive sides, the negative sides, and also what it looks like in dancers, like what a teacher could expect to see in a student? Mm. Mm. So it, depending a bit on who you are and who you hang out with and what kind of dance context you're in, it might be that people talk about perfection and wanting to be perfect and wanting even to be a perfectionist, or they don't at all. So it does really vary uh, in terms of how important or, or positive versus negative that people see it as. Uh, in research terms, there's been lots of ups and downs in the literature, and it, um, especially a few years and, and sort of decades ago, it seemed that different researchers really liked to define it in, in their own little way. Um, more recently, we have fortunately moved towards a bit more of a consensus, so it's a little bit easier to kind of understand and compare studies and so on so nowadays i would say that most people at least in our area would view perfectionism as uh, having two sort of sub components so perfectionistic strivings and then also perfectionistic concerns so within the strivings part that's the stuff that people often but not always see as like the good bits so people set high goals or perhaps extremely or even unrealistic goals they work really hard and when that goes too far of course that's essentially rigidity and kind of overtraining as well and uh, they can be very focused on their own development so really kind of dedicated they come early to class they work hard they maybe stay behind and practice and again we often see that as quite a positive thing driven and focused but we can just as easily see how that can go kind of overboard as yeah. well with it taking over your life and it being all you think about all day, or maybe all night, <laughs> is how to get better and how to improve. Uh, 
So there is this sort of positive negative balance also within perfectionistic strivings in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people with high perfectionistic strivings are also really organized and sort okay. of neat and tidy or uh, very precise, okay. but not necessarily always. Yeah. And then within the concerns component, this is rather easier to agree uh, between people, researchers and uh, dancers alike, that this is more the problematic side. So it's sort of the back of the coin, if you will, with worries, uh, feelings of never being good enough. I should have worked harder. I should have done better. I shouldn't have fallen over. And what if I'd done that instead? Um, which can obviously, well, it causes a lot of stress. It also impairs your concentration and it can even make it hard to sleep and so on. So elevated stress levels. So lots of worries and concerns about mistakes, which can also lead to this kind of avoidance type behavior where the dancer doesn't want to try new things because you don't want to look stupid. Mm -hmm. I don't want to fall over in front of my friends or I don't want to do improv because that's really frightening because I don't want, I don't really know how it will look. I only want to perform or be in front if I know that it will look really, really good. Sure. Yeah. So that was in um, one of the research papers I read um, from your work is the dancer was talking about that and saying how she likes to stay at the back of the room or being in a class of people she knows. So is that along those lines? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That sort of um, other people's views being really important. What are they thinking about me? I can't. Uh, I've also had others in interviews saying, well, sometimes I would excuse myself from class or actually pretend I was ill and then I'd go and practice in a different studio. Mm -hmm. because I didn't want anyone to see me practice. Sure, right. So you mentioned as well that um, there's sort of perfectionism in the normal population, then also perfectionism in the dance population. And a lot of research sort of suggests that it's particularly prevalent in dance, I think you could say, but it also lacks research in dance, which is, of course, interesting because it's higher in the dance population. So why do you think it might be particularly prevalent in dance? Well, I think that for a start, we need to know or sort of lay it on the table that quite a lot of the research that has been done, which is not huge given, um, well, nothing in dance research is huge yet. Um, but of the research that we have, there is a predominance of Western stage dance styles mm -hmm. so that have been studied. So classical ballet, uh, sometimes contemporary dance, but, um, but often then also the contemporary type dancers who do quite a lot of ballet as well. Um, so traditional sort of scenic uh, Western dance form. So that's good to kind of keep in mind um, because uh, lots of us, and definitely me included, are sometimes a bit sloppy with what we call dance psychology or dance science even, whereas really the research has been done in, in a fairly narrow band of what dance can be. Mm -hmm. We certainly don't have research into perfectionism, into dance with the elderly or into, you know, um, uh, Aboriginal dance styles or yeah, sure. uh, you know we barely even have it in uh, in dance sport which is surprising given that that is should be learning from both dance and sport science so anyway um, so it might be to do with the aesthetics of ballet and things like that perhaps yeah and also perhaps a cultural kind of norm now okay. why that would then be more prevalent within the styles that we have studied I think that classical ballet especially, but probably also other kind of formalized dance styles mm -hmm. um, have an ideal that is quite precise mm -hmm. uh, and it's laid out in syllabi and um, often likes to kind of honor tradition uh, and heritage. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so what that can lead to, it doesn't have to, but what it can lead to is this kind of uh, viewing of something that already exists as being the perfect. So there is a perfect or a right way to do things. It is a bit more black and white. It's less subjective. And ironically then, black and white thinking, I'm good or I'm useless, is typical of a perfectionist. Yes. Yeah. So in that sense, if we have a kind of aesthetic or a teaching style that promotes that kind of thinking, then it's likely to nurture perfectionism. Yeah, sure. So yeah. like the expectation of flawlessness is kind of in dance inherently. So it's really hard to get yeah. away from that. Yeah. Whereas, for example, in some contemporary styles, of course, there is less right and wrong, or there are many ways to be right. Mm. Um, so there, so it's less. Um, there's less of a chance of the dancer feeling imperfect or pursuing a very strict ideal that mm-hmm. is, well, very very difficult to reach. So that would be one aspect. But I also believe that there will be some self-selection. So yes, I think teaching styles or. or sometimes the inherent aspects of a style can nurture perfectionism within the dance context Mm -hmm. but i think it's also partly a self-selection so that if you are the kind of person or maybe the kind of child often who likes to do things very beautifully uh, maybe you like things to be just so and maybe you look up to the teacher and think that they are your absolutely ideal role model then maybe people think that you are more suited to things like classical ballet and they put you in it. Mm-hmm. And if you then thrive within that context, then we have a sort of self-perpetuation of uh, perfectionism within that sort of style. Yeah, sure. Whereas if you, um, let's say there's a girl who is quite a tomboy and she likes running around, she's very determined, she likes doing things her own way. Because of the stereotypes that lots of us hold, we might not think, oh, she's perfectly suited to ballet we might put her into something else. Mm -hmm. And then again, we have a kind of perpetuation of what kinds of people go into a style or perhaps a school with a particular teacher and what kinds of things do they deliver? What kind of people stay given the kinds of ideals that are promoted or the teaching methods that are used? So there's a bit of a give and take, I suppose. Yeah, sure. So there's definitely a link then between the environment that the teacher creates as well as the sort of characteristics of the student. Um, we'll get into in a minute but why would you obviously there's many reasons but why is perfectionism a problem obviously it's not always a problem but when it does go too far what are the main risks associated with it that we should be aware of well so if it's not at super high levels i guess the sort of early signs that the dancer themselves would notice Mm -hmm. is uh, quite frequent dissatisfaction in class and after class So I should have done better. I should have worked harder. The teacher wasn't pleased with me. I want to please them more. Mm -hmm. Um, Elevated stress and uh, and elevated performance anxiety. Because, of course, if your goal is to be perfect, how often are you going to reach it? Yeah, exactly. Basically never. And if you never reach your goals, you're going to feel inadequate. And then you're going to worry about it. Maybe plan to do better. Maybe work even harder, Mm -hmm. etc. So I would say that's the sort of, that's pretty normal. And it's not strange to have performance anxiety or to feel stress or to feel dissatisfied. But I'd still say it's a little bit of a warning bell. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we go to the really severe end of things, um, perfectionism is a strong predictor of disordered eating development when it goes, you know, a long way. That's not to say that you only need perfectionism because eating disorders are multifaceted and there are many things that come together for that to happen. Right. But we can consider that 
within anorexia, for example, uh, perfectionism has long been part of the of the definition and the measurement of it. Sure. So that's how inherent it is. So while you can certainly have a perfectionist without an eating disorder, you're pretty unlikely to have an eating disorder without perfectionism. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sure. I mean, um, and other disorders, of course, are similarly so. Perfectionism is a sort of transdiagnostic vulnerability, so it predicts all sorts: generalized anxiety in life, um, obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, depression yeah you name it it's kind of there burnout obviously of high relevance to dancers mm -hmm. so it's obviously really important for a teacher to be aware of this and try and foster it in a positive way in their students mm -hmm. so there's the link between motivational climate and perfectionism and that could be a way that the teacher can help perfectionists have like positive perfectionist strivings as opposed to the perfectionistic concerns so could you just sort of outline for us what is meant by the term motivational climate and also task involving, ego involving, give us a bit of an overview of that. Sure. Um, just to sort of land a bit before I do so, that I wouldn't say that there is such a thing as positive perfectionism. Okay. So if it is perfectionism, it's a problem uh, because it always carries increased risk. There are aspects of perfectionism or where it hasn't gone very far, that can be absolutely fine. So yeah. of course it's fine to have high goals but not unrealistic goals. Of course, it's good to work hard, but not so hard that you're essentially hurting yourself mm -hmm. because you're never in recovery. Sure. Or of course, it's great to be focused, but is it all there is to your life? Mm -hmm. So even perfectionistic strivings kind of carry that vulnerability. And it's really okay. unusual to find people with high strivings and low concerns. They okay. almost always go together. Mm -hmm. At least when the person is stressed, under pressure, or when they're not, um, doing so well for some reason like making a mistake so so with that said <laughs> motivational climate um, we often divide it into task involving and ego involving climates and in a task involving climate the teacher and all the uh, other people that are in the climate so your peers like your your friends or your colleagues uh, will typically focus on individual progress separate kind of ways or on our particular challenges and we can both be satisfied when we get to the next level mm -hmm. regardless of how we are in comparison to each other mm -hmm. whereas in a more ego involving climate maybe the teacher says that okay by now you should all be doing triples okay and that's the standard and there is comparison you go okay you should all look at jasmine she's doing it really great you should all be doing it like this by now mm -hmm then we have more interpersonal comparison, more rivalry within the group, and less focus on what the dancers can control. Sure. So I, can, I, as a dancer, can always control my effort, hopefully my working strategies, like what am I focusing on, what kinds of technical things am I working on for me, or what artistic things am I working on, focusing on. So really important is that aspect of focus on things that the dancer can actually work on and, and control. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be uh, individual learning, of course. I can also focus on collaboration and mixing groups up. So maybe you and I work together for one piece of the class and then in, um, in a later part of the class, you work with someone else and I work with a fourth person so that there is a mixture. Mm -hmm. And that, um, rather than uh, what's more typical for an ego-involving climate would be kind of leveling. The best ones are over here and the least good are over here. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of these clear divisions, like you're in the top set and you're in the bottom set and this is what you're working on. 
Mm-hmm. And the and the bottom set sit on the floor and learn from the best ones or something. Yeah, yeah, sure. So flexible groupings is a really important strategy. And alongside that, children, but also adults, come to understand that we're all good and less good at different things. Mm-hmm. So maybe you teach me stuff about the technique in the pirouette, and I can work with you on the fluidity of your arms in Adagio or something. They're recognizing sort of individual student strengths and pulling them out. Yeah. Really yeah, exactly. And I mean, sometimes that also means that the teacher needs to praise things that are not technical or not even necessarily dance related so that they're seeing everybody. So maybe somebody is much, is super helpful to everybody else mm-hmm. or is always on time to help with the equipment in the room or whatever else it might be so that people are kind of recognized for their different strengths as well as working on their individual goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. So obviously it's not straightforward, but from your research and studies, what's the relationship, just like as brief as an overview can be of this, um, what's the relationship that you found between perfectionism and motivational climate? So perfectionist mm-hmm. concerns and the perceived motivational climate. Yeah, so us and, and also others have mm-hmm. found indications that when a climate is strongly ego-involving, so mm-hmm. there is focus on things that the dancers cannot control, like get to this level, or this is the best, mm-hmm. or um, that sort of pressure. And when there's rivalry and, and comparison, that can encourage uh, greater levels of perfectionism, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially this comparing people is very stressful, mm-hmm. um, because I cannot control what you can do yeah uh, also focusing on talent which is also something that we can't control per se um is something that um is part of an ego involving climate and that can encourage perfectionism in in performers but we also know that with the sort of research methods that we often use which is questionnaires and the dancers would rate themselves and their perceptions of what's going on we also know that if you're very perfectionistic you are more sensitive to the opinions of others and so you're more likely to pick up on certain cues in the environment like um, let's say I'm super perfectionistic and you're not and the teacher is kind of pointing out some sort of comparative aspect you're more likely to go oh that's interesting or oh that's actually inspiring because it's no threat to you because you're secure in who you are and what you're working on but if I'm very perfectionistic I'm likely to see that as a threat Mm -hmm. I'm likely to pick up on those sorts of cues in the environment in a way that you might not you might not even remember it later but I probably would sure so yeah so it sort of works both ways again yeah Yeah. so (laughs) slightly different like along the same lines there's the idea of social learning and social expectations so if a student's in a environment which might encourage perfectionism like an ego involving climate they might pick up on perfectionistic cues from the people around them is that Mm. better to say do you think yes i would say so yeah because if it's really really important for me to be perfect then it's often uh, sort of by default important to be the best Mm -hmm. because that would be closer to perfection right Mm -hmm. and it's important what other people think especially in a really teacher oriented activity like dance Mm-hmm. where the teacher often shows what the right thing is or stands at the front or the center of the class and the dancers are sort of around it and in mirrors and in small clothes. It's a very teacher-led activity. Yes, so yes. what the teacher does becomes very, very important mm-hmm. and it becomes more important to kind of please the teacher then. 
-hmm. in order to, to, to get ahead, to get selected, to be seen, to get the most uh, constructive feedback or whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah. So, so you gave a few solutions for how a teacher can physically implement a task involving motivational climate. Have you got any others? So obviously there's like a focus on the self, not comparing students, flexible grouping. Mm -hmm. Are there any other strategies a teacher who's listening could use to help their perfectionistic students? Yeah, I would say even within a teacher-led and sort of traditional art form like classical ballet, uh, to use um, pair learning, pair students up to work together, work variously towards and away from the mirror, Mm -hmm. uh, looking and not looking at other dancers, like facing the bar, for example, um, pulling curtains across the mirrors. Uh, mm -hmm. And really, uh, an important aspect is definitely working with imagery and working with artistry. Okay. Um, so for the very perfectionistic, it can be really scary to work with improvisation. So you might need to take kind of baby steps towards it and really kind of scaffold and encourage those people who feel really uncomfortable. So they might need some guidelines uh, rather than let loose kind of completely but really kind of individualize that and avoid giving so much feedback on everything all the time yeah. <laughs> you know let them be let them explore it let them feel it so go how did you think that went okay. how do you feel about that what did you get out of it because sometimes we get so teacher focused that the dancers kind of do, do their variation and then they look at the teacher as if like here's the magical answer that is the truth of everything yeah, sure. whereas really they know and they gradually with age, they should learn to trust their own sense and feedback and those kinds of things. And sometimes peer feedback can also be great as a kind of intermediary there. Mm -hmm. But certainly if you're focusing on artistry, what is the meaning of this movement? Like, what are you trying to say with this sequence or variation? What are you going to communicate to the audience when you go on stage next month mm -hmm. and really work with that? Because that has that well, the, the magical power really that we have in dance of, of um, personality and, and art really, uh, that we can truly get absorbed in, you know, can be so into the role that the feet don't really matter anymore. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of, it's such a beautiful thing, not just on stage, but also to allow that kind of in the studio and to have that kind of um, the pressure of doing things technically right all the time, kind of lifted off and be allowed to kind of be in that um, other world, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a real gift actually to everybody, but maybe especially to the perfectionist who's less often there by themselves and less often absorbed, but rather more in their self-critical mind. Yeah, that's really nice as well. Cause when you see five-year-olds come into your class and they've just started dancing, they do it because they love it and they don't tend to like look for so much feedback and things so it kind of goes back to that doesn't it it's a great reconnection and in fact it's something that when uh, older dancers once they've done a lot of dance like if they're in a very serious dance school or have become professionals of course sometimes motivation is not all that they might want it to be like it's not so fun anymore it's not great fun every day it's a lot of hard work etc and they might start thinking about what kinds of things in life am i giving up to do this and is it all worth it actually sometimes i've found that in conversation kind of going back to when was dance class last really really rich and enjoyable for you and for them to kind of maybe relive that and go what what was it that made that class so good can you do that again mm. Or perhaps it's all extrinsic factors that made it good, like a different teacher. 
and maybe that can even but if that's very strong that can be a reason to change teachers or even schools mm. rather than quit dance or slog along with something that's no more fun or like you said go back to why did you start dancing in the first place was it really to point your toes perfectly i don't think it was <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know going back to why they love it so for the yeah. older students so say a student in vocational training age 18 maybe mm. what would your advice be to them on how to deal with this like the dance magazine article which i'll i can link in the podcast below if anyone wants to listen to it um they can they suggest productive coping skills and keeping discipline and perfectionism separate like you touched mm. on but what would mm. your advice be to an older student on managing it themselves i think the best foundation is knowing who you really are and what you really want Mm -hmm. So really have a good long think about your motivation for dance. Where did it come from? Is it really for you? And when is it the most rewarding? Mm -hmm. And then once you really know what you're about, to kind of set your future goals in line with that. Mm -hmm. So what kinds of jobs would allow me to, to live the aspect of dance that I really want? Uh, do I want to do it full time? Do I want to do a particular style or some kind of fusion? Do I want to mix performing and teaching perhaps or mix maybe outreach work with my own performing in projects? There are so many versions of what you can potentially do. And sometimes in vocational training because you're told what to do every day. Uh, yes, in a way it's sort of easy to be told what to do because you don't have to think about it but it's also got that risk of taking you away from what you actually really want. Mm. So is it a particular aspect of a style that you want? Can you find, you know, carve out a little space in your schedule to really devote yourself to that? Maybe chatting to a teacher who's been performing in that style or even reading a book or watching online film clips of, of what it is, you know, so that you're really kind of going, this is my angle within it. Mm. even if this is the best school for me to kind of get there and it's not fun every day but overall like yeah I really want this this is going to be the best ladder for me to climb in order to get where I want mm -hmm. rather than necessarily rely on kind of the system to somehow kind of shuttle you in the right direction because there are so many avenues and no teacher however amazing they are can know everybody's mind and body right yeah of course so, so to sort of be brave and set your own goals and find your own way within the system. Yeah. Uh, I would say that's a really important aspect. Sure. So they also mentioned um, using CBT-based strategies to help manage perfectionism that students could do for themselves. Could you just mm -hmm. give a little outline of this? Mm. So CBT is a big umbrella yeah. and uh, it originated first in the B, the behavioral uh, sort of therapy, and then the C is the cognitive kind of aspect. So if you see a CBT therapist or read a CBT book, uh, they can vary quite a bit as to whether they're more B or more C. <laughs> um, so just bearing in mind that it's quite a diverse umbrella of strategies, because on top of, of those first waves, that the B is the first and the C is the second, third wave CBT also now includes mindfulness and um, uh, self-compassion strategies and those sorts of things. And I would say... <clears throat> Sorry, I would say all three waves of CBT have great potential for a dancer uh, or a teacher for that matter uh, in order to kind of work with it. But I would say a very straightforward and um, practical example uh, is from the basics of kind of behavioral therapy. So mm -hmm. um, 
according to those sorts of learning principles that underpin that, that behavioral side, um, we as humans, not just dancers, we're very strongly motivated to avoid feeling bad, right? We don't want to feel anxious. We don't want to feel awkward. And so what we do is that we either avoid it or like take a different route when there's a person we don't want to talk to, <laughs> or we, if we feel anxious, we, um, we step away from the situation. Mm -hmm. Or if we're scared of the teacher, we don't ask a question or we don't want to see ourselves in the mirror. So we avoid that by standing at the back. Mm -hmm. That would mean then that the perfectionist is so strongly motivated to avoid making mistakes, right? Because yeah. supposedly mistakes are not close to perfection, but we can yeah. debate that. Um, <laughs> so a classic CBT strategy then is exposure, which is make mistakes. Yeah. Okay. And that's really scary if you're very perfectionistic. So yeah. you need to start really small. Mm -hmm. Now, in an anxiety kind of hierarchy, if you did this kind of therapeutically or properly, you would go, okay, what's the maximum thing? What's 100% scary? What would be the worst, worst thing that you could do? And then you'd define that and that would be your 100%. And then you'd do various kind of percentages along a sort of stepping ladder. Yes. Um, but you can totally do this for yourself, especially if it's more mild or moderate perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And maybe the lowest steps will be make one tiny mistake in class on Monday and then look around you and see what happened. Yeah. And then maybe make another one on Wednesday and see what happened. Maybe say something slightly silly or maybe stand at the front, even if it feels really scary or fall over and don't apologize to the teacher or something yeah sure. so the, i mean the basic principle is that by by exposing ourselves to what we typically avoid we notice that the world doesn't fall apart yes yeah we get used to the anxiety and go it was only anxiety it's not actually a problem of course. but there are huge numbers of other strategies so yeah, yeah <laughs> nice. i think that anyone who's listened will be able to take something away whether they're a teacher or a dance teacher which is obviously our goal that's really great. Thank you. I guess just the last thing, is there anything else you'd like to mention or discuss or any other advice you would give? Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's difficult. There's so many fun things in this. We've covered a um, lot going all day, but <laughs> I guess just be aware of how the word is used. Mm -hmm. That would be a good kind of final tip, maybe. As a teacher, do you say perfect as part of feedback? Maybe there are other things that you can feed back on. Like, I like how you worked your foot there. Or really good effort with the arms throughout. But mm -hmm. next time, try and also add that thing in the torso that we talked about. So that the focus is not so much on positive negative, but on constructive, mm -hmm. regardless of how it went. Sure. Maybe you did super well in your pirouettes and I didn't. It's easy for a teacher to go, well done, Jasmine, Sana, work harder. Yeah. But really, what is it that you need to work on in your next step? What is it that I need to work on in the next step? And that's a great leveler within the class because everyone's always got work to do. Yeah, sure. It's always a process for everyone. It doesn't really matter whether you're better than I or not. Right. Sure. So yeah, be a bit mindful of that word, really. That's such a lovely takeaway. Thank you so much, Sana, for your time. I'm very appreciative. If you want to find Sana or any of the resources mentioned, they'll be in the description box below the podcast. Tune in again next Monday for a second episode of Psydance.